You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. And on tonight's episode, we're gonna be speaking to NFL quarterback Matt Ryan about what's happening in Atlanta and what he thinks of Colin Kaepernick's possible future in the NFL. We'll also be joined by the president of the human rights campaign, Alfonso David. And we'll find out what everyone has learned from coronavirus. It's nothing. We've learned nothing. But before all that, let's catch up on today's headlines. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the most important meal of the day, racism. A familiar face at breakfast for more than a century will soon be a thing of the past. Quaker Oats announcing that they're getting rid of the 130-year-old Aunt Jemima brand, famous for pancake mixes, maple syrup, and other breakfast foods. In a statement to NBC News, Quaker Oats writing in part, we recognize Aunt Jemima's origins are based on a racial stereotype. While work has been done over the years to update the brand in a manner intended to be appropriate and respectful, we realize those changes are not enough. That's right. After 130 years, it is officially time to pour one out for Aunt Jemima. Don't worry, I put pancakes on the floor. Now, if you don't understand what the big deal is, Aunt Jemima from the beginning was a classic slave mammy stereotype who got her name from an old blackface minstrel character. And although the company has tried to strip away most of the racist stuff over the years, people still associate Aunt Jemima with ads like this one from 1945, where Aunt Jemima is saying, Law C, folks show whoops with joy over Aunt Jemima's pancakes. So yeah, those ads were so racist, Trump's probably gonna appoint one to attorney general. It's also amazing that the brand knew that Aunt Jemima was racist. And then instead of just changing it, they chose to instead slowly phase out the racism over time. That is so ridiculous. Can you imagine you caught your partner cheating and instead of stopping, they said, yeah, yeah, you're right, baby. This is so wrong. I, I think I'm gonna slowly start phasing out all of my affairs. From now on, no sex, just hand stuff. But I guess that's how powerful racism is. They can even use it to sell food. Do you think black people are less than human? Well, then you're gonna love these flapjacks. But let's move on. Because as we've all learned yet again over the past few weeks, the worst racism isn't in your breakfast. It's often what happens when you leave the house. And for people who are worried about getting harassed by the police, there's an app that might not be able to stop it, but can at least make sure that everyone finds out. Amid the widespread protests and anger over police brutality, an iPhone shortcut that allows users to automatically record their interactions with the police is gaining popularity. After installing the shortcut, all you have to do is say, hey Siri, I'm getting pulled over, and opens your front-facing camera and starts a video recording and sends a message to somebody you designate as a contact. Once you stop the recording, it sends the message to that contact and allows you to send it to your iCloud or Dropbox. Hell yeah, Siri. I always knew you were an ally. Did you say find local bowling alleys? God damn it, I hate you. Now, obviously, this is a helpful tool for many, many people. But the fact that this app is even necessary just shows you how widespread the problem is. I mean, it's 30 years after Rodney King, and the only thing that's basically changed is that the cameras are smarter? In fact, the cops have now released their own app, 
Yeah, when they start to pull over a black person, their body cam automatically malfunctions. In other news, while most of the planet has been focused on fighting racism and coronavirus, deep in the Himalayas, China and India have decided they also want to fight each other. Two nuclear powers are facing off in a remote corner of the Himalayas, and now officials from China and India are scrambling to try to ease tensions. On Monday, soldiers from both countries fought on disputed land, and the Indian side lost around 20 soldiers, and that's prompted anger in several cities. You see people here stomping on Chinese-made products. Others burned an effigy of China's president. Okay, I'm sorry. China and India, you guys need to cool off because this is not the time. We can't handle a world war right now. We're already dealing with so many things. Coronavirus, economies are tanking, global protests are happening, and at any minute, more Hollywood actors could release one of those black and white videos. I take responsibility. Now, this dispute between China and India is about where exactly a remote border in the Himalayas should be. And they've been arguing about this part of the border for 50 years. And it's crazy that this is basically what most beefs between countries come down to. Every country is basically just a kid in the back of a car trying to claim as much of the middle seat as they can. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And I don't know if I'd be fighting for that land anyway. I mean, it's in the Himalayas. Whoever wins is still gonna be stuck dealing with asshole mountain climbers for a thousand years. So yeah, China, you might push India out, but you're never getting rid of Brock. And speaking of war, President Trump is aiming all his Twitter fingers at his former national security advisor and cartoon owl, John Bolton. Tonight, a new twist in the president's rift with his former national security advisor, John Bolton. The Justice Department is suing him to block publication of his tell-all book scheduled to be released next week. I will consider every conversation with me as president highly classified. And if, it, if the book gets out, he's broken the law. And I would think that he would have criminal problems. If you're a publisher, if you're an author, you have a book coming out, your dream is to have the president attacking you. What was the result of that? Uh, the book is number one on Amazon. Donald J. Trump has got to be one of the most short-sighted people in history. Of course the book is number one on Amazon now. Because you trying so hard to keep it locked up just makes more people want to read it. Nobody should ever read these hot, sexy secrets, especially on page 32. You don't want to see those. Don't look. Nobody should look. And look, at the same time, I also understand why Trump is so scared. Because already, the stuff that's been leaking out of this book is pretty wild. Bolton says that Trump openly asked China to help him win re-election. And constantly twisted American policy to help himself politically, which I think could severely damage Trump's reputation with Greg. You know Greg, the one remaining guy who didn't believe that yet, but was still open to the possibility? Now, if you ask me, this is also some bullshit from John Bolton, because he could have testified in the Senate trial, but instead, his warning is coming in the form of a memoir six months later who sees their country in terrible danger from an unhinged president and goes, I need to warn the people? Chapter one. I was born on a bright autumn day in 1948. And by the way, while Trump is fighting off this book, he's also the subject of another tell-all book by his own niece. Yeah, 
Apparently, Trump is considering suing her as well because like all normal families, his niece signed an NDA in 2001. And I can't even begin to imagine how awkward Thanksgiving is gonna be for the Trump family. Can you imagine that vibe? Trump is gonna be there like, I'm not sitting next to Mary. Not after what she wrote about me. The other seat is next to Eric. Okay, Mary, let's talk this out. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Now, you may remember, the reason that I'm shooting the show in my apartment is not because I forgot to pay the utility bill at the studio, but because coronavirus shut down the planet. And although the coronavirus devastated the globe, some countries managed to beat it, which gave the rest of us hope, right? Countries like New Zealand, the Canada of Australia, they've been celebrating because they had completely gotten rid of coronavirus. But then this week, they discovered that even they can't go back to normal just yet. After more than three weeks of no new cases of COVID-19 in New Zealand, with authorities believing the country had managed to eliminate the virus, the Ministry of Health today announced two new cases. They are both women who had traveled from the UK via Australia. It's a major blow for the country that has aggressively tackled the virus. Only last week, New Zealand lifted almost all domestic coronavirus restrictions. Oh no. New Zealand, you made the classic zombie movie mistake. When you're in the house and everything is fine and someone knocks on the door, you do not let that person in. Because when you open that door, it's gonna be a zombie or a Jehovah's Witness. Either way, don't open the door. That said, it is crazy that two cases is described as a major blow to the country. I mean, that's how differently New Zealand is taking this to other places. Because I mean, if that's a major blow, America is taking in Corona like the guy in an old wind tunnel experiment. And I mean, this just goes to show how hard it's gonna be to defeat coronavirus without a vaccine, right? Because all it takes is one little slip up for all your work to collapse. It's kind of like the game Jenga in the sense that it's not fun at all and I wish it was over. Are you looking to spend 10 minutes nervous but also bored? Try Jenga. Now, while New Zealand is racing to contain these two cases, in the country where this all started, they're looking at an outbreak that could be a lot worse. China is racing to contain a new outbreak of COVID-19. After reporting no new infections in Beijing for more than 50 days, the virus has returned. Parts of Beijing under lockdown again. Officials there calling it wartime mode. Schools closed, transport in and out of the city shut down. There are now more than 100 coronavirus cases linked to Beijing's Xinfadi wholesale market. Health officials scrambling to quickly contact trace, testing an estimated 200,000 people, from market workers to recent visitors. Near the area, images seen of hundreds of military police deployed to freeze the flow of people. Okay, wait a minute. China is shutting down Beijing because of 100 cases? Either China takes this way more seriously than everyone else, or there's something they're not telling us again. Now look, China, I know it's embarrassing to have more corona, especially when everyone in the world is blaming you for this thing. But you need to be honest with us about what's happening because you saw what secrets did the last time. One minute, it was a few cases in Wuhan. The next thing you know, we were all making face masks out of our roommate's underwear. Now, there is some good news in the battle against COVID-19. Researchers at Oxford say that a common steroid that's been around for 60 years can dramatically reduce the risk of death in severely ill coronavirus patients. 
Basically, scientists have now just started doing the same thing that you do at home. You know, when you get sick, and you just go through your medicine cabinet trying random stuff to see if it'll work. Oh, does Pepto-Bismol cure herpes? Well, it's worth a shot. And in another big research development, experts are now confident that the virus mostly isn't spread by touching surfaces or brief outdoor contact. Instead, they're saying that there's now a consensus that most spreading comes from close-up, person-to-person interactions for extended periods and crowded events where people are talking loudly. So basically, this is good news for us. We're understanding corona, you know? Like, now we know the total nightmare scenario for catching coronavirus would be like... Like, I don't know, like a, like a big crowded indoor event, you know, where thousands of people are packed together screaming and chanting about locking someone up. But luckily, no one would do such a thing. Speaking of no one, President Trump and his administration have come under fire for not encouraging Americans to take this pandemic seriously, which is unfortunate because the pandemic is still taking America very seriously. This morning, record-breaking one-day increases. Arizona, Florida, and Texas all reporting their largest one-day increases in new COVID cases. They are among 20 states that have seen the number of newly reported cases grow over the last two weeks. Both President Trump and Vice President Pence, however, are yet again downplaying the seriousness of the outbreak, blaming testing for the climbing numbers. I can tell you on uh, COVID or coronavirus or whatever you want to call it, plenty of names, uh, tremendous progress is being made. A lot of cases that other countries who don't even test don't have. If you don't test, you don't have any cases. If we stop testing right now, we'd have very few cases, if any. Okay, okay. Technically, Trump is right. If you don't test anybody, then you don't have any cases. The same way if black people stopped recording the cops, we would have zero cases of police brutality. Ah, ignorance is bliss. You know what the problem is here? The problem is that Trump thinks of coronavirus as a PR issue and not as a pandemic. He's less concerned with fixing coronavirus and more concerned with fixing how coronavirus makes him look, which probably explains those pictures he brought to yesterday's press conference. I mean, yeah, it looks better, but it doesn't help. Now, look, if all of this seems a little like deja vu to you, you're not losing your mind. China is saying that the virus is completely under control, but at the same time, they're shutting down one of their largest cities. And the U.S. is seeing a surge in many states, yet Trump is claiming that everything is fine. So the bad news is the world might be going down a path that we've already been down. It's happening all over again. The good news is that means that I know the winning lottery numbers. Hmm. I'm gonna go play that shit now. Don't go away. After the break, we'll be talking to the president of the human rights campaign, Alfonso David, and Matt Ryan, quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. We'll be right back. 1642, eight, seven, ah, was it seven? Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Alfonso David, the president of the Human Rights Campaign. We talked about the landmark Supreme Court ruling this week that protects LGBTQ workers from discrimination. Alfonso, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This week saw a major ruling for LGBTQ plus advocates all over America who were petrified that the Supreme Court would rule that the Civil Rights Act did not protect them, you know? And, 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 and this ruling came out and, and people really breathed a collective sigh of relief. As the president of the Human Rights Campaign, what did this ruling mean for you and what do you think it meant for everybody out there? 
This ruling is so incredibly significant. Work is central to our lives. Uh, there are so few of us who can afford not to work. And when we work, we're able to take care of ourselves. We're able to take care of our families. And to have the Supreme Court say that LGBTQ people are protected by federal civil rights laws is so significant because there are so many people that are fearful of coming out of work. They're fearful of telling their coworkers that they got married. They're fearful of just being themselves. So at its core, this decision provides a level of dignity to LGBTQ people. They have been fearful that the court would issue a different ruling, but we're really happy that the court stood on the side, the right side of history. If, if we look at the ruling though, a lot of people are worried that this now sets up a battle for people to try and claw back some of those oppressions of the LGBTQ community. Do you have any concerns about that? Do you think that there will now be a backlash? I don't, I don't. Uh, I, what I see this decision as is a reaffirmation of the rule of law. Here, we had 20 years of court decisions, 20 years of federal court saying that LGBTQ people are indeed protected. And the court recognized those cases and said, we have to respect the rule of law. We have to respect stare decisis. And this is so important, particularly now, when we have someone in the White House who doesn't understand the rule of law, he doesn't understand stare decisis, he doesn't understand providing dignity to marginalized communities. So I don't have that fear. I think the court honored the rule of law. After this ruling, I mean, you know, whether it was religious leaders or just conservatives coming out saying, oh, well, this is an oppression of religious freedoms. Shouldn't a religious person be allowed to fire somebody from their job because they are gay or lesbian or trans or queer? And, and, and it, it seemed like it, it's setting America up for this conflict between your religious freedoms versus the freedom to not be discriminated against. I, I think that's how they're framing it. But in fact, they already have that right. The religious groups and the individuals who are claiming this is going to result in the sky falling only need to look at other states that have had non-discrimination laws on their books for decades. New York is one of them. New York has had a non-discrimination statute for LGBTQ people for a long time, since 2002, with uh, Sanda, and it was recently amended to include gender. But the sky didn't fall. Religious institutions are still able to protect themselves. So the contention that uh, you need to create a new pro provision or new laws is just hollow. It doesn't ring true. And I know what they're doing. They're seeking to expand religious liberties. The law already provides for religious protections, and we don't need to expand it. This felt like a, you know, an, an invigorating win for so many people. But where does the fight go from here? Is, is it over? Was, was this it? <laughs> no, we are so far from, from being uh, reaching what I view as, how do we get to liberation? How do we get to a place where we're liberated as marginalized communities? My position is no marginalized community has achieved liberation in this country. And we have so many battles ahead of us. One is the Equality Act, is a piece of federal legislation that would provide protections to LGBTQ people in other facets of their lives. I'll give you one example, and many people are surprised at this, but if I get into an Uber or into a Lyft mm -hmm. tonight, there is no federal law that would protect me from discrimination, no, no statute that would protect me. The Equality Act provides that protection. The Equality Act, state law does, so if I live in New York, state law would protect me, but in right. most cases, there is no federal protection 
that exist, and in some cases, no state law protection. 29 states in this country, 29, do not have comprehensive protections for LGBTQ mm-hmm. people. We also have to fight against violence for, trans, for the transgender community. This year alone, we've lost at least 15 members of the transgender community. They've been killed. Last year, 27. We have so much work to do. But I don't want to detract from this ruling. It's fantastic. It provides us with meaningful protections, but we have a lot of work to do. People said, well, if you, if you see from this ruling alone, if you work to create laws that protect black people's rights, because of where black people are in society, especially in America, those laws will protect and, and help so many other people that the law wasn't intended to help. Do you think that this helps to bridge a gap? Because we've seen that even within the LGBTQ community where, you know, some people have said, I'm black and I'm gay. And I feel like these two worlds sometimes conflict because there isn't a camaraderie between them. Do you think this might be the bridge? This, I think this is one of the bridges. I agree. As we think about marginalized communities that are fighting to be treated equally, we're all driving in the same direction. We're all driving to make sure that we're respected under the Constitution. You know, when they say liberty and justice for all, when they talk about equal protection under the law, it's supposed to be equal. Equal protection under the law. And unfortunately, we see that the application of the law is different depending on whether or not I'm gay, I'm black, I'm transgender, I'm Latinx. So our goal is the same, getting to that place of equality. And, and I think for, all, for far too long, um, our policies have been driven by fear. Mm. It's always driven by fear. Donald Trump is driving fear and division as opposed to driving policies of inclusion. How is it that if you protect me from discrimination, you are threatened? How is it that if I'm able to work openly as an LGBTQ person, it compromises the work environment? It doesn't. And that's why I think my liberty, my my quest for liberation as a black man is intricately tied with my quest for liberation as a gay man. And I'm hopeful that more people see that. They see that as the LGBTQ community leaders, we stand on the shoulders of others who came before us. Mm. We stand on the shoulders of Martin Luther King, of Rosa Parks, of so many people, Fannie Lou Hamer, who fought and fought and fought to make sure that they were treated with the dignity that they deserve as black people. And they created constructs, they created foundations that we're now using to provide greater protections to LGBTQ people. Well, it's uh, been an amazing week. And as you say, one of the most monumental rulings in American history, especially for the LGBTQ community, but for everybody who believes in a just and fair society. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. And uh, I hope you found a way to pop quarantine champagne (laughs) to celebrate this moment in time. Tequila for me. Tequila. Oh, well, there you have it. Alfonso, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Right after the break, I'm going to be talking to Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. So stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My next guest is Matt Ryan. As quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, he's won MVP awards and taken his team to the Super Bowl. And now he's speaking out about social justice and racial inequality. Matt Ryan, 
Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. This is a unique experience. It really, really is a unique experience. Before we get into the conversations in and around race and the protests and everything that's happening, just for you as an athlete, you know, and that's how so many people know you as, a, as an elite athlete, what has this period been like? Are, are you training? Are you, are you able to work out? Are you able to create a semblance of a normal life as you prepare for what may or may not be an NFL season? You know, I think I, you know, I'm lucky. I have a good setup in my house to be able to uh, to be able to train. Make sure I'm getting my running in. Make sure I'm I'm getting my weight training. You know, that's nice. Uh, but it's been you know, it's been different. Uh, I think as we've gotten further along, I think I've, I've found ways to properly social distance, but also get work mm-hmm. with my guys uh, on the field. And, and we found some some places that have. Uh, allowed us to to get out there and get some work done, but it's been unique. But you find a way, and and uh, you figure out you know how to get yourself ready to go, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, and the circumstances genuinely have been unique in this time period. You are in one of the cities in America that is experiencing some of the greatest turmoil. Turmoil, you know, um, Atlanta. We've seen um, Ahmad Aubrey, you know, in Georgia. We've seen uh, Rashad Brooks. We've seen the protests. We've seen the riots. Talk me through what you've been experiencing as somebody who calls Atlanta home. Well, it's been difficult uh, to, to see everything going on, you know, in our city and in our state. Your, your heart goes mm-hmm. out to, to their families uh, and their loved ones um, because it's, you know, it's just deaths that shouldn't have happened. You know, that's, that's been part of, of me wanting to, you know, speak out and, and help out uh, in, in ways that I can you know, you mentioned I don't have these other ties, um, you know, to, to my professional life right now. We have this time. We have this opportunity to be able to put our energy and our effort in uh, into that. And I think it's, you know, it's an important thing to be able to do that right now because we need to make a change. Uh, the way things have operated and the way things have gone up until this point isn't good enough. And so, um, you know, my hope is is to be able to, you know, use the platform that I have to be able to create awareness and uh, help in the ways that I can help. It's been interesting in how you've shared your feelings honestly. You know, you you haven't tried to act like you were perfect. You haven't said that I, I figured this thing out. But you also said that that you want to help as a white person with a platform, which is not easy for a lot of people to say because you, you're so scared of the backlash that may come with that. Talk me through that experience and, and, and why you felt it was necessary for yourself as an athlete. I mean, you could easily say, hey, it's I'm an athlete. I, I, I can't talk about this. Why did you think it was important for you to speak out in the way that you have? Well, number one, you know, this this was something that, you know, my friends and my teammates were saying uh, as I was listening, you know, that some of the comments that were made were that, you know, we appreciate you guys having our back and having, uh, you know, telling us that you support us. But I think it would help more if. You, you did it publicly and you were able to go out and, and use the platform that you have to, you know, to, to encourage change. And so that was one of the parts, um, you know, just to, as a friend and, and listening um, to, to my friends and my teammates, it just seemed like that was the next step that needed to happen because, you know, what we had been doing up until this point hadn't really worked. And so, you know, if you continue to try and do the same things we've done up until this point, you're going to continue to get the same results. Uh, and so for whatever reason, the timing, I just, I felt like I had to do it because, um, I regret it not doing that up until this point, you know, I mm. regret it just kind of staying on the sidelines and, 
and not helping out in, in the ways that I could. So it really stemmed, you know, from from conversations uh, that I've had with with my friends about, you know, what can I do to to, to make a difference. Yeah, and one of the differences you 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 started to make is actually using the resources that you have to give uh, African American members of the Atlanta community community a leg up. You've started a GoFundMe. You donated $500,000 of your own money to that GoFundMe. And what's interesting is where some people have said, hey, I'm going to figure this thing out. You've said, no, I'm going to be talking to black community leaders and figure out where we can get money to the people who need it for whatever they need it most for. Th- that, that's an interesting way to do it. Why did you choose that path? Well, I chose the path because, number one, I knew I wanted to do something. But number two, you know, I knew that I, did, I didn't know how, how to do it or, or how to help. And, you know, typically what I've found throughout my life is uh, when it's an area that I don't know the most about, I think it's important to find people that do and find people that you trust uh, and and have them kind of guide you the direction you need to go. And so uh, that's what I'm currently in the process of doing. I've, I've had great conversations uh, with probably about eight different people from the from the Atlanta community right now that are heavily involved. Uh, at the grassroots level, uh, in terms of com- uh, community organizers and people that, that do this every day, that have been trying to make a change for a long time, mm-hmm. and and are much more knowledgeable about uh, the hurdles that that we have to jump, but also the things that we can do that that are really going to make an impact immediately and then long term too. That's that's kind of you know my focus with this is is you know to make a difference now for sure, uh, but. But, you know, not, you know, rush into doing something just to do it because the momentum is there right now. Let's let's do something that's that's going to um, impact uh, making change for the long haul. Sports has always been seen as, you know, a place away from politics. But as we've seen throughout history, when politics can no longer be looked away from, sports often becomes the platform for politics. The NFL has become a lightning rod for so many of these conversations. And obviously this has been sparked by Colin Kaepernick and his protests. Now you've spoken in support of Colin and Roger Goodell has now come out saying he thinks that NFL teams should look at hiring Colin again. And, and what, what would you hope to see from the league going forward from here? Of course, we would have liked for this to uh, have taken place much sooner uh, than it has, uh, but we can't, really change what is what has happened up until this point we can only control the change that 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 we can have moving forward mm-hmm. uh, and and I think you know within the last couple of weeks you have seen uh, positive steps in the right direction but we need to continue uh, to take those steps and we need to continue to push forward and I, I feel like uh, I can no longer sit on the sidelines and just kind of let it happen the way you know other people want it to happen I think it's our responsibility as as leaders uh, and as players in this league who have a platform to be able to speak um, to continue to push, you know, push the narrative forward uh, and and to you know make the change that we want to make. Well, I, I think you're doing amazing work. Um, you know, the community of Atlanta has really rallied around you, saying they're proud to have you as a hero, especially during this time. So thank you for taking the time. Um, good luck out there. And um, if I need you for my touch football league, I'll let you know. But right now, I I got it handled. All right, perfect. Steady QB right here. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Trevor. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, 
The Daily Show and Comedy Central have been donating to three groups fighting against police brutality and systemic racism. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and the Bail Project. Now, if you would like to chip in, then all you need to do is go to the following link and donate whatever you can. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 